from Toronto, Canada. This is the Rockstar Radio Show. Louder than the DJ. I said louder. Louder than the DJ. Only on Rock Antenna. Here's your host, Ben Kualowitz from Billy Talent. Welcome to Louder Than The DJ. I am your host, Ben Kualowitz from Billy Talent. How are you? Thank you for tuning in. On this week's episode, I am beyond thrilled to have none other than the iconic Laura Jane Grace from Against Me and Laura Jane Grace and the Devouring Mothers. Now, we've known each other for a long time, and I am probably one of her biggest fans, both on and off the stage, and I am so happy to have her on the show. Also, I have some other special guests this week. A little four-piece band from Toronto, Ontario, Canada called Billy Talent. (laughs) Yep. Going to start today's show off with a little something different. Now, people often ask us, who are some of your favorite bands or artists that inspired you to pick up your instruments or to start singing or to play guitar? And so instead of me talking about it, I thought, well, why not just ask the boys in the band? So the first hour is going to be about, you know, what bands and artists have inspired us collectively and individually. Now, since it's my show, I'm going to go first. Señoras y señoras. This band literally changed my life. And without this record, I honestly don't know where I would be. I remember hearing something blaring through my brother's bedroom walls and me being drawn to it almost magnetically. I walked into his room and he threw this album cover at me and I sat down and I looked at it and had a a nude female conjoined twin sitting on a rocking chair with their heads on fire. (laughs) I've come to learn that it was actually a sculpture, but man, I had never seen anything like that before and it blew me away. Needless to say, once I sat down and hit play, my life changed forever. I never had heard anything like this before. And I remember being scared and nervous because I didn't know what was coming next. And there was this danger and magic to it. You also have to keep in mind that this album came out in 1988, years before grunge. They are trailblazers in alternative music. And without them, I probably wouldn't be in a band. Here is the mighty Jane's Addiction off their brilliant record, Nothing Shocking, with Mountain Song. Only on Rock Antenna. Juana's Addiction. Welcome back to Louder Than the DJ. That was Pearl Jam with their song Alive. Now, if there's one band that made me want to start singing, it was definitely Pearl Jam. Now, it's a little known fact that Eddie Vedder is one of my idols. And to me, I don't think there's any person in rock and roll who holds a candle to him. So when I got the chance to meet him so many years later, it was one of the most memorable experiences of my life. But I'll save that story for another day. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kualowitz from Billy Talent. So as I was mentioning, I am going to be asking the guys in the band, because everyone always asks us, who are the like your inspirations? Who are the people that, you know, the bands or artists that made you want to play music? So first up, I have none other than the legendary bass player of Billy Talent, Mr. John Gallant. So Johnny, just want to ask you, when you were a kid, who were two two bands or two songs in particular that you remember that made you want to pick up a bass? Uh, well, definitely it was uh, Guns N' Roses. They uh, changed my life when they came out. They they were just like the, the coolest rock band and their videos were wild and it, I was like an, an impressionable age. They were such a great band musically. So uh, Duff leading the way on bass was just a kind of a good rock guy to look up to, I think, as a young bass player in terms of the way he played. And then... 
When I was young, I went to the cottage and uh, we had this this little store there that sold tapes. And I bought a Who's Greatest Hits and a Black Sabbath. We sold our soul for rock and roll. And both of those albums were, are just filled with amazing bass lines. So my generation, probably from the Who, has incredible like John Entwistle bass riffs and all that stuff. And then Terry Geezer Butler and any Black Sabbath song is shredding away. So those are the bands. So what two songs out of those three, what two songs in particular... Was there a Guns N' Roses song that yeah. stood out to you? Was there a... Sweet Child of Mine. That was the original question. I just dodged it. So. <laughs> Here's John Gallant from Billy Talent's picks of his two songs that made him want to pick up a bass. Here's Guns N' Roses with Sweet Child of Mine on Rock Antenna. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kualowitz from Billy Talent. Welcome back to Louder Than the DJ. So that was Johnny G, bass player of Billy Talent, a bass player extraordinaire's two songs that he picked that, you know, influenced and inspired him to pick up a bass. Next, we have none other than Mr. Aaron Silawanyak, original drummer of Billy Talent, amazing fella. And Aaron, I know you grew up, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of different influences around you and music was something that you wanted to follow from a very young age. What two songs from two bands made you want to sit behind a drum kit? Well, that's a really good question, Ben. Growing up in the suburbs, uh, I had an older brother who was always listening to Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and ACDC and I, I thought all that music was great but I was always kind of searching for something of my own and then all of a sudden 1986 we had a thing in Toronto called the Pepsi Power Hour which was uh, a live syndicated broadcast on Thursday nights at 8pm and I would just sit on my brother's bed and watch the TV and just be totally inundated by all these amazing videos um the first one would have would have been fight like the brave by the red hot chili peppers uh just watching these guys you know singing dancing it was just uh an amazing song and i I remember just sitting on the corner of my brother's bed just kind of air drumming along thinking man i would love to do that one day be in a band and and I think a big reason why I wanted to do it so much is because my mom would walk into the room and look at the TV and just say, That is disgusting. They their shirts off and tattoos, and I'm like, cool, that's what I want to do with my life because my mom hates it. Um, and then I, I got to say, Epic by Faith No More. Um, that was just a... Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of hip-hop and uh, seeing them kind of mix the two you know rock music and hip-hop together but it was done in a way that wasn't really done by anyone else and they they seemed to do something that was kind of cheesy but it wasn't cheesy so um it just you know blew me away and then i'll always remember the the poor dead fish at the end of the video i think if anyone knows the video by faith no more called epic you'll know what i'm talking about it's pretty sad um, but it really influenced me to be want to be in a band and meet other people that wanted to play music. Here's Aaron Silawanyak's original drummer of Billy Talent's two songs that inspired him to start playing drums. Here's Fight Like a Brave from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Epic from Faith No More, only on Louder Than the DJ on Rock Antenna. 
And we're back. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kualowitz from Billy Talent. Now, I've asked the guys in Billy Talent what two songs influenced them to sit either behind their drum kit or to pick up a bass. And now let's move right along to Mr. Ian DeSaw, guitar player, producer, songwriter extraordinaire. So, Ian, what two songs do you remember that made you go, wow, I want to do that? I want to play guitar. Yeah, so the first song that made me want to pick up electric guitar was uh, uh, All Day and All of the Night by The Kinks. It had this gnarly tone. I remember seeing, uh, they used to play these black and white old bands from the 60s on Friday nights on on television. And I remember seeing this one, uh, I might have been a BBC uh, special type thing and uh, the Beatles were on it and the Kinks were on it and and that song really stuck out to me and, and I didn't know why until you know I, I kind of grew up and, I, and I, it had almost like a punk element to the guitar tone of it um, and the legend goes that uh, the guitarist had slashed his, uh, one of his speakers to create a, a distorted effect and uh, and so you get this gnarly kind of uh, distorted speaker tone in that song from the guitar. And it was such a simple riff to play that uh, when I started learning guitar, it was uh, easy for me. And, and that was a gateway to many other songs. The other song I heard when I was around seven or eight years old, my older brother had uh, purchased a record that I, I used to go listen to his records all the time. And this record uh, was uh, the Police Outlandos Demore record. I made a mixtape of it, and then I remember taking it on a, a trips to Quebec City or something like that. We were doing in grade nine or ten, or grade eight or something like that. I was just listening to this one song on it over and over and over again, and that was Roxanne. There's something that attracted me to that song lyrically and uh, musically, like the vocal harmonies were so different than a lot of things I was hearing at the time because there were like three-part harmonies and I thought that sounded super cool and, and the band had so much energy and it sounded like punk but a bit of jazz and and uh, that song was uh, hugely influential on me as a songwriter. So yeah, The Kinks, All Day and All the Night and The Police, Roxanne. You heard it from the man himself. Here's The Kinks, All Day and All the Night. And then The Police with Roxanne on Louder Than the DJ on Rock Antenna. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder Than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kualowitz from Billy Talent. Now, I've heard that for the last month on Rock Antenna, they've been doing this thing where they reflect back on the 2000s. Well, the 2000s was such an interesting time in music. I mean, it was coming off the 90s, which were arguably, to me, the most important decade of music. And the 2000s were unique in the way that it was always trying to find its own identity. I mean, the 90s brought grunge and hip-hop and punk rock, trip-hop, the rave culture to the forefront of pop culture. As where the 2000s didn't really know which way it wanted to go. I think it really started to find its own way once it stopped trying to live in the shadows of the 90s. I mean, Billy Talent, we started in the 90s, but we didn't become popular till 2002. So for us, the 2000s were amazing. If I were to choose one band that comes to mind that encapsulates the essence of the 2000s, it would be The Strokes. They were the first post-grunge band that truly moved me, and I've been a fan ever since. And I remember the first time I heard this song I'm about to play, it stopped me dead in my tracks. 
It had this old school Motown kind of vibe, but with this fresh, confident kind of swagger to it. I was all in. And it was the first time in a long time that I wanted to hear more. It came out at exactly the right time, and it was exactly what people needed to hear. I remember I got tickets to go see them play at their first show ever in Toronto at the legendary Horseshoe Tavern, and it was insane. There was a lineup literally a mile long down the street to get into this 250-person club. I think they only played for something like 30 minutes, but it was one of the most fun and memorable shows that I have ever been to. So here's a song that kicked it all off for them and is, I don't know, truly one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands from the 2000s. Here's The Strokes with Last Night, only on Louder Than The DJ on Rock Antenna. A nervous, messed up marionette floating along on a prison ship. Man, I love that line. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Now, Radiohead were the unheralded kings of the 90s, releasing brilliant albums like The Benz and OK Computer. But when they released Kid A in the early 2000s, it was next level mind blowing shit. It stopped everyone in their tracks, and everyone I knew was either talking about it or listening to it. They were one of the first bands to seamlessly blend electronic elements that were, you know, kind of all around at the 90s to rock and roll in this way that felt natural and unforced. I would get stoned on my couch and listen to that record over and over again, studying it, understanding it, and trying to figure out all the different layers to it. To me, this is the record that encapsulates the 2000s, all the good things and all of the ingredients of that time. All right, stick around because we got lots more to come on the show, including my chat with Laura Jane Grace from Against Me and lots more rock, only on Louder Than the DJ on Rock Antenna. From Toronto, Canada, this is the Rockstar Radio Show. Louder Than the DJ. I said louder. Louder Than the DJ, only on Rock Antenna. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Hey, it's Ben. Welcome back to Louder Than the DJ. Okay, I'm going to talk about a band that I have come to love, but not a lot of people, including myself, truly understand. That band is Silverchair. When they first came out, they were kids. Literally, they were three 15-year-old friends from Newcastle, Australia that went from playing songs in their bedrooms to being one of the biggest, most polarizing bands of their time. Their first record, Frog Stomp, was massive, and their song, Tomorrow, was on the radio everywhere. The record came out in 1995, which was about three or four years removed from the grunge explosion, and people weren't quite sure what to think of them. They were teenagers from Australia who the singer kind of looks like Kurt and kind of sounds like Eddie coming out right after Kurt's death. I mean, it could be construed as disingenuous or like a major label trying to fill the gap type thing. And I admit, I was one of those people that I wasn't too sure about them at first, but I couldn't deny that there was something there, this undeniable talent that was lurking underneath the surface. And so I've always kind of kept a watchful eye on them over the years. They released some cool records after Frog Stomp. I mean, they had Freak Show in 97, they had Neon Ballroom in 1999. And the more I started listening, the more I started to discover and realize how brilliant singer-songwriter Daniel Johns was. They released this absolutely magical album called Diorama in 2002, which showcases all of Daniel's talents and abilities. It was like he lost any ambitions and just wrote from a different place on this one. I honestly believe that he is one of the best and most underrated songwriters of our time. I know you may roll your eyes, but if you dig a little deeper into their catalog, you'll see what I'm talking about. 
That record in particular was genius, and it was so brave for them to release it at that time. Anyway, Daniel Johns is a polarizing superstar in his home country of Australia, and I've always been curious to see what he does next, but he's been this renowned recluse and that has struggled with the press and spotlight, and for years and years he does zero to no interviews, so it's hard to stay on top of what they're doing. That's until recently. I just discovered this new podcast called Who is Daniel Johns? And if you're at all a fan of the band, or even if you're not, it's still a crazy and sad story at times about this incredibly gifted young person dealing with newfound fame and the ups and downs that come with that. It's definitely worth a listen. Here's one of my favorite songs by Silverchair. It's called Anna Song Open Fire, which is a song written about Daniel's struggles with anorexia. It's a beautiful song, and I absolutely love his voice. And I haven't heard in a while, so I thought I'd play it. So here's Silverchair with Anna's song, Open Fire, on Louder Than the DJ on Rock Antenna. That was the Pixies with Gigantic. And I wanted to play the Pixies because, well, they're amazing. (laughs) And modern alternative music would not exist if it weren't for them, and they deserve all the respect in the world. And without them, there would be no Nirvanas, no Weezers, no, dare I say, even Billy Talents. Anyway, stick around, because up next is my chat with the one and only Laura Jane Grace from Against Me, only on Louder Than the DJ on Rock Antenna. From Toronto, Canada. This is the Rockstar Radio Show. Louder Than the DJ. I said louder. Louder than the DJ, only on Rock Antenna. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. I think Laura Jane Grace is one of the most important people in modern music. She is bold and brave and an inspiration and is one of the best lyricists and songwriters out there. In a time where everything is so disposable and fleeting, she's important and she means something. All right, well, let's kind of, let's, let's start there. Um, because I know you are a touring musician, much like Billy Talent. Like, that's all we know. And so then when the pandemic hit and you can't do the thing that is what we do, what did the pause bring you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, when you were standing on the edge uh, you know, looking at this, this, the, the time in the past, what, what, what were some things that spoke to you? For me, it was about a perspective shift and realizing on the one hand, so much of my identity is wrapped up in that of being a touring musician for 20 years, you yeah. know, and that's what you do. You, you put out a record and you go on tour for two years and then you do it again, you know? Um, but once I just realized that as long as, you know, I, once I realized like, oh, there are actually different parts to what I do. And while half of what I do is a touring musician, the other half of what I do is I'm a songwriter and I'm a recording artist. And as a songwriter and a recording artist, I can do that wherever, you know, like, especially with, uh, you know, the advent of more and more, uh, home recording technology and stuff like that. Um, but so like, I just kind of shifted my focus and I was like, okay, well, you know, if I'm an artist then my job is to be creative and I just have to think about this in a creative way and figure out out a way that I can, you know, still work a, in the way of like, got to put food on the table, got to support myself and then be in the way of like, got to work to keep myself sane. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, So like, I literally, 
I probably spent a month, a month and a half sitting on my couch in a depressed state and realized that I was just sinking deeper and deeper into my couch and that if I didn't pull myself out of it, you know, and that there was no one else who was going to pull myself out of it. Yeah. Um, but that if I didn't change, that it was only going to get worse. So I had a handful of songs in my pocket and was like, you know, I can still make a record. I just got to figure out how to do this here at home in Chicago. Yeah. And literally was like, hey, you know, Steve Albini's studio is right down the street from me. I've never made a record with Steve Albini. I've always wanted to and thought, you know, I've been a huge fan of his work. So called him up and, and was like, hey, uh, you know, I don't know if your studio is open, if you're taking clients, but this this may be within the realm of possibility since I'm just asking for it to be me. I'll bring no one else with me. So be super safe. Um, would you be into making a record? And he was into it. So I ended up doing that. And that gave me like a focus where, you know, it was booked far enough in advance where I was like, okay, for every day for the next month, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to play through my songs and I'm going to work on the songs and then I will be ready by this date to go in and I'll put it out and, and then take it from there. Yeah. And so I, I dove straight, straight into that and, and that kind of kept me going. And then, you know, once the record was done, then it was all the focus on like, okay, now we're mixing, now we're yeah, yeah, yeah. mastering and everything like that and figuring out how to release and promote a record during the pandemic times, which was crazy in itself because, you know, usually they're, I have to switch brains as far as like, okay, there's the brain that you use for the creative process of like writing the songs and recording the songs. But then once it's time to tour, you switch to that mentality, which kind of shuts down the songwriting process for sure. me. And so it'll be like eight months into the touring cycle where I re-realize like, oh yeah, I got to still write songs because we're going to have to go back into the studio and record again. So I got to turn that back on, which then takes some like getting back into with, with this last record. It was more like, okay, well, I'm done with that. I guess I'll just keep writing songs and keep recording songs and keep working like this. So yeah, because you've it's you've released two records. I released an EP in September. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah, and so that was recorded this past summer, um, and and that's been my pandemic experience. Is you know working on the full length, working on the EP, and and just keeping myself busy in that way, and then also being a parent. You know, all last yeah. year a lot of it was was the, the homeschooling and the remote schooling and stuff like that, and um, just you know, being in the same position that everyone else was, where some days it was enough to just get myself up out of bed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because it's interesting that you said like for that first little while, it was, I think that was easy for everyone to just kind of fall into this deep, dark place. But it's interesting because I find the same thing. Like when you have a purpose to get up and like, that's why I think maybe booking that studio time was like the perfect thing for you because then it made made you have something to get out of bed to do, right? Like you got to get the songs up to, you're like, ooh, I got to get, you know, you got to get the songs up to a certain place and then you have to, then the recording and, you, you know, so it gives you a perspective of purpose. <laughs> exactly. And then especially wanting it to approach it in the way it was approached with Steve Albini where it's like sure. an all analog recording, no overdubs, just live performances. Wow. Like, I got to practice. That must have been fucking terrifying. <laughs> it, was, it was pressure. But, it, you know, and it's pressure because, like, with Steve, like, I could tell, like, I don't want him to get bored. You know, like, her. <laughs> and, and it was weird in a lot of situations where, you know, being used to making a record with a band where there's those points where a question is asked. And if you don't immediately know the answer, you're able to look at your bandmates and be like, okay, sure. what are we thinking? You know, <laughs> But with no one to look at, it was like, all of these questions are on me. I have to be ready to answer these questions yeah. prepared for whatever comes up. So that's actually, let me ask you this. So how, how do you decide 
And I, I guess the answer was kind of easy in this time because you only had yourself. But how, like, how do you know what songs are just for you and what songs would be against me songs? Like, how, how do you d- discover which ones go where? Well, it, you know, with, with, that, with this record, with Stay Alive, the record that was released in October. Which is a great record, by the way. Everyone should listen to it. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> it, it was like, you know, the, the songs for the record had been written pre-pandemic and they were being worked on towards an Against Me record. But we had kind of like, we weren't, we weren't gelling necessarily. Gotcha. You know, like I had written like 35 some odd songs and we were still not in the place where we're like, there's the record. Let's go in and record. Yeah. And, you know, we had spent January in the studio, we had spent February in the studio, March, we had spent a little bit of time in it. And then we had headed out on a tour three days into the tour. Everything went down, canceled, go home. Um, but then looking at it where I was like, I've got all these songs, you know, like, what am I going to do? Am, are, am I going to sit on 35 songs for an indefinite period of time until the band is the next in a room together and be like, hey, everybody, you remember these songs we were getting on yeah. with? The band? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but but looking at them, I was like, come on, there has to be a record in 35 songs. And so a little bit of it was just kind of like getting into the kill your darlings mentality and also just asking like, well, what, what, what does it mean? What does it mean for a song to be good or what does it mean to be ready? And it, and, and it really was like, if the song is resonating with me, then that's the song I'm going to record right now. And I'm not going to overthink it too much and I'm going to approach it more of like a document. And also then throw out any kind of like preconceived notions as far as like it's, you know, I think younger bands or younger artists get more locked into mentalities of this. And when you're older, you realize it doesn't fucking matter of like, there's no reason why I can't record a song by myself solo. And then two years from now against me goes into a studio and records the song as a full band song or why a solo song can't become a staple song in a live set or even vice versa. Why I couldn't take an against me song and record it as a solo song. The only rules are the rules that you're imposing on yourself, you know, like so looking at it in that way, it was just like, what does it matter? It doesn't. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And you're so right. That's just that's right. It doesn't matter where it where where it ends up or how it morphs or evolves. It can just be. Yeah. <laughs> you say it and it's kind of an eye opener to me. I'm like, yeah, like I've, I've never really thought about it like that, you know. But yeah, I guess that makes total sense. I had this conversation pretty early on in the pandemic uh, with a manager and not my manager or anything like that, uh, but just a manager person in the industry. And they were like, now that there's a pandemic, there's no rules now. And I had this realization where I was like, damn, you know, anyone who tells you that there are no rules now means they once believed there were rules and they believe that there will be rules again. And that's bullshit. They're just, there are no rules. You know, it's fucking art. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I, I appreciate that. Um, another thing, I remember, we're going to talk about voices for a second. Yeah. Because you're always on 10 when you're like with against me. And I understand that. And I respect that because I'm the same way. Uh, I, and I remember seeing. going to say like, hello, pot. This is the <laughs> but I remember coming to see uh, against me at the mod club in Toronto and uh, it was the most, I've obviously seen against me play quite a few times. Uh, but this night in particular, it was bam, 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 song, song, song. Like there was no break in between any songs. 
And I remember thinking to myself, you, your voice was perfect. You were bang on. You were, it was, it was impressive to watch. And it, it got me thinking about how singers have such this, it, it's such a unique and strange, wonderful, beautiful thing to do. But I put it this way. I remember I, I saw this interview with uh, the late uh, Chris Cornell and it was in the nineties and the, I guess he had just canceled some shows and he, he was having some problems with his voice. And the interviewer was like, so how's your voice? And he said, the only time I have problems with my voice is when people ask me about my voice. <laughs> and it resonated with me because that's something that I, uh, I often think about is like when I'm on tour and I start slipping or I'm not having a great show or I know, I know the wheels are kind of falling off, it gets in my head. Right. And then I realize that most of singing is all in your head. It's not in your throat. It's your mental state. Right. So d- does that resonate with you at all? Like, do you ever get into a situation when you're on tour where you, it gets in your head and you can't get it out type thing? A hundred percent. And it, it was something that was even more comical when I was younger and I partied. Yeah. Um, where it would be like, you know, if there was a big show coming up and I yeah. was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this whole week, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm going to go to bed early every night. And then my voice would be shit. Yeah. But then it was like the next night, if I went out and I was smoking and I was drinking <laughs> and I stayed up until all hours, that next show would be the best. And <laughs> feel amazing. But but also, you know, then relating to that to pandemic stuff like that was something I actually really did notice in a different way of like so many of those functions and those things that have become muscle memory to take an extended period of time off during the pandemic. I really realized how much they were starting to slip yeah. and how much work I had to still put into them to keep them up to par yeah. as a professional, you know, and a lot of that stuff is not fun, boring as far as like, okay, realizing like, I guess I got to wake up every day and do my vocal warm ups, even if I'm not going to be playing a yeah. show tonight or I got to still play the songs because if I don't, the memories or the the lyrics are going to slip from my memory. I just took it for granted that I would always remember the lyrics to 75, 100 songs at any given moment, (laughs) which is just not true. You know, you have to stay in practice with those things. So that was, has been a real challenge over the past year and a half. Well, this is a perfect segue. Hold on. I'm going to read something. (laughs) All right. Here it is. So this is taken from your book. Okay. March 26, 2010, driving. I don't remember what time I went to bed last night, but I do remember drinking white wine, then red, then whiskey, and smoking a ton of weed. I keep telling myself I need to chill out and take better care of myself, but I want to hang out and be social. And the social scene on this tour is fucking high and drunk. This Canadian run opening for Billy Talent (laughs) is how I always imagine our arena touring would be. Huge audiences, great shows, and then at the end of the night after the crowds leave, the arena is all ours to do what we want to do. It was the best tour. (laughs) I I will forever be in your debt for that experience. Oh, no. It was so fun. Well, this is kind of going back to what we were just talking about is because in the Billy Talent camp, we have two, we have Team Booze and Team Weed. And you seamlessly were involved in both teams. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it was some of my fondest memories because after every show, we would hang out in like a little weird, like you know what I mean, like like a dressing room or a locker party room or something. Room. Yeah, party room, <laughs> and and we would have uh, we were just I, I remember you, John, and I would sit and we would have uh, John would smoke a joint and then I would bring over the wine and we just sit and talk till the wee hours of the morning. You know, and I, I don't know. I just have such fond memories of that tour. And it, it I, I, that was funny when I read that. And <laughs> I tell people about your method to this day of you, you, you explaining to me of like, well, I pour the wine into the glasses before I go on stage. And that way it allows the wine time to breathe. And then I play the show and I come up and then I drink the wine. Oh my God, that's genius. <laughs> that, you know, like what, what is it all worth if you have to go on tour and it's no fun? Well, that's it. You know, like, and you can't make those memories or anything. Yeah. And oftentimes like it isn't just like psychosomatic there there are benefits to having a good time you know and and being in a good space like that does things for your immune system yeah. really when it comes down to it well yeah and it's interesting because there is that delicate balance <clears throat> especially when you're in like mid tour they have to be you know uh, uh mindful of your voice but sometimes you just want to have a bottle of wine and smoke too many cigarettes and listen to music and hang out yeah you know and, and i think that there's something it is that delicate balance where you can't be reckless, but you also have to be present and know when to pick your moments of to have fun. Right. And in those situations, too, like that's a pretty controlled environment. You yeah. know, like yeah. you're in this place, you're there yeah. all day. No one is driving. Nope. You know, like we're, you're just there and someone else is kind of taking care of the like getting you to point A to point B. You have your responsibility of being on stage on time, doing your job. Yeah. And, and then after that, like you're hanging out, you know, and those are memories that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And I, I don't know, you know, I lost my train of thought, but yeah. No, no, but it's true. And, and, uh, I, I, um, it makes me happy to, 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 to hear you say that you had so much fun because we've always been, uh, of the mindset of we have to play and tour with bands, not only, uh, that we, you know, align ourselves with musically, but also that are just good people. Yeah. You need like that. The road is so long and it can become so daunting at times that you just want to surround yourself with good, good vibes, <laughs> you know, and I think it's such an important uh, uh, variable when considering like touring and who you go out with, because you spend so much time with these people that you want to be able to have those lifelong memories and not just be like, hey, you know, pass each other like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that that was I, actually, I was trying to think about the first time that we met. Like, do you remember? I can't recall like like a a moment. Yeah, I I don't. I it was on the Warp Tour, and I came. It was two thousand and six, right? That was probably yeah. And I had seen your music video. I don't remember where. Um, for I'm probably getting the song title wrong. I'm shit with song titles, but that's okay. To River Below, yeah, that's the right, right. That's correct. Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> and I remember seeing seeing that video when I think when we record we were recording "Searching for a Former Clarity" in Baltimore, and you're wearing the Auto Bar shirt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking like, a the song rips, and b this band looks so cool. Like, <laughs> you look cool in that video, you know? Oh wow. And then. I would watch you every day on the Warp Tour and I just would go back to the bus every day and be like, y'all have to check out Billy Town. They are so good. It is so rad. And was just like, I, I, I'm sure that 
I came up to you at some point backstage on the warp tour. I was like, Hey, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. It, well, and, and, and it was vice versa for us. Cause we would watch against me and be like, we were, I think we were a little bit intimidated <laughs> because of how good you were. And we, we, I just remember being like, we, we have to, we, 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 we got to pull up our socks here. We got to practice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just funny how, you know, it, it just felt like a very natural, easy friendship. You know what I mean? They, they, they didn't like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's such a, that time too. And I remember, uh, on that, tour it was the last show I think it might have been somewhere in Florida and you were the last band on like the whole tour was over this was a celebration I remember being on stage and it was like Fat Mike and like all these other bands and I clearly remember uh, Don't Lose Touch and all of us just singing arm in arm like cheering like we won a war <laughs> you know like we got through the tour you know? and it was just such a, a beautiful uh, serendipitous kind of moment Warp Tour definitely feels like that yeah right <laughs> feels like you're at war you uh, know <laughs> it still makes me kind of feel sick to think about how in like just how long <laughs> and how hard those tours were but so much fun it's funny like during the course of the pandemic where it kind of became a, a joke in in my band like prior to the pandemic after after doing like four warp tours where the question amongst us would be like how much money would you have to get paid to do, <laughs> to do the warp tour in a van <laughs> like all these like different parameters uh with the basis being that you know the warp tour is grueling and it's it's pretty fucking hardcore but then that shifted during the the pandemic to to damn it would be so rad to be on the warp tour <laughs> I would give anything to be the barbecue yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. But what's on the horizon for you? What, what's what, what's what's cooking right now for you? Um, you know, I my whole approach to this coming out of the pandemic has been trying to be very forward thinking, yep. you know, and with continuing to record music, my thinking was like, all right, you know, like you shouldn't sit on stuff because everyone coming out of the pandemic or the good majority of bands are going to be co going for this approach of like, we've been working on a record yep. for the past year and a half and we're going to try to put it out with the right timing to where then we can go on tour right out of the pandemic because we need to, and I yep. get it, right? But I knew that there was going to be some kind of bottleneck, and I knew that there would be a lot of uncertainty as far as, like, you see it happening, where, you know, it even happened with, like, the Hella Mega Tour, that Green Day Tour of, yeah. like, I think it was Fall Out Boy had to cancel X amount of shows because one person in the party tested positive, yep. right? And, you know, that kind of risk after already having to cancel a year and a half of touring was, you know, like, I, I can't, can't take that kind of risk. So yeah. since August, I've been going out and just doing like two or three, maybe four solo shows a month. And then with the idea of being like, okay, 2022, more ease into it and, and do some more proper touring, book some more tours as it seems like it's more getting better. Mm -hmm. uh, but just trying to be really trepidatious with it and, and trying to like, just um, trying to trying to set it up so you're not locked in the same cycle as everyone. Gotcha. Because there's also the bottleneck happening with the vinyl plants too, yep. of like everyone trying to well make aware. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So like 
you know, completely having to rethink how you do stuff, you know, and it, and it's like if everyone is coming out of the gates at the exact same time, releasing a record and starting their tour cycles, then everyone is going to be locked in the same tour cycle going forward. So it's yeah. almost like you need to, to divide everybody up into group A, group B, group C, like you go now, you go now, you go now. <laughs> yeah. um, so been doing a little bit every month uh, since August. And then tomorrow I'm actually announcing a tour of Canada, a solo tour of oh, Canada. Oh, great. <laughs> well, I guess, well, yeah, I guess you can't say when, but. Well, I can. This isn't airing today. The no, it airs, airs Friday, actually. So, yeah, you're good. The tour is being announced tomorrow, and it's with Lande Hecht, who's from the UK, and Mobina Galore from Winnipeg. Um, and it's, I think it's like March 3rd to the 23rd or something like that. Amazing. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So, Canada tour is the first thing in 2022, and then I'm doing some more touring that um, will be announced yeah. later, later in the year, but kind of, kind of building out the year. Well, that sounds great though. Yeah. I'm happy for you. And how are these shows been? Like, do you like, uh, I know obviously, you know, in Canada, we have our own set of circumstances and uh, with COVID and, you know, the different protocols in place and things like that. Have you been feeling, do you feel safe when you're out there? It's anxiety inducing. Um, honestly, and the, the thing that's most anxiety inducing is that there's not a lot of consistency, hmm. uh, as far as like, you know, I, I did two shows last month where one was in Green Bay, Wisconsin, one was in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's like the Green Bay show was everyone wearing masks. And then the St. Paul show was no one wearing masks. Hmm. And it's like, you know, from state to state, every state, even regardless of shows has their different regulations sure. and the different approaches to it. So that's, that's been alarming. And, and it's wild. Cause like, you know, that, that first show back, I found myself up on stage and I'm like, I don't remember how to speak. <laughs> how do I hold my guitar again? Like, what do I do at this moment? You know, like just all these things that you took for granted muscle memory wise that have slipped. So there's like a little bit of that, like feeling of like, I'm getting my seed legs back. Yeah. I'm learning how to do this. Um, and then, you know, but, but then also having this realization of like, oh, these are kind of like the easiest audiences ever in that. They just want to hear the hits. They just want yeah. to hear the good songs. They want to hear the songs they know and they want to sing along and they want to have a good time because they have not seen a show in a year and a half. So in that way, it's like rad. Everything's new again and that's all around for everybody. So it kind of took the pressure off in a, in a strange way and it's good vibes, even if it's anxiety inducing. But I imagine that anxiety is felt all around, Sure, you know, like performers and the audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that because we played our first two shows in three years, uh, which is just, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and we played out, out east in Canada where the numbers were really low and, uh, you know, it was one was outdoors, the other one was mass mandated and, you know, all of these things. <clears throat> but again, being on stage, I, I, <laughs> I felt like I, I was a, uh, like playing the role of playing myself do you know what I mean like I was like I had no in-between banter like all everything was just flopping like I, I just I I forgot I forgot how to 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 be that thing right you know right and it's a very strange yeah because when you're doing it in so many night after night you just everything kind of feels this natural intonation kind of happens you know I've been doing cameo if you're familiar with what I cameo. am yeah yeah 
And I went into Cameo really skeptically, sure. thinking, hmm, what is this? You know, like, is, is this lame or is this, is this what is this? Um, and then realized quickly as I was doing it, I was like, oh my God, this is a godsend. This is awesome. Like, this keeps me in the in-between songs. Gotcha, gotcha. Because you have to freestyle it for each message. <laughs> of just like, what am I saying to this yeah, person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and it really like practices that muscle in a specific way that, that I was really surprised with. Sure. Um, and thankful for, and, and, you know, I'll say this relating to back what we were talking about, about voices as a singer, I don't know if you relate to this, but I really hope the masks stick around because I think honestly, the, what gives me the most trouble on tour vocally is when I get sick. Yeah, and you sure. Get sick of course. When you're hanging out and you're talking to people afterwards, yeah. you can, yeah. whatever. So you know, from that perspective, I'm like, oh, this is great. If I can just wear a mask forever. Oh, I'm totally wearing a mask forever. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be incredible. Yeah. yeah. 100%. No, they're, like this is <clears throat> like on planes and like buses and just airports and just you're, you're constantly around, you know, yeah. so just wear a mask. Yeah. You know, wear a mask and everything will. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes. Um, one last thing I, I find interesting. Uh, you are probably the best follow on Twitter. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I been... hate Twitter. <laughs> like, I don't like it. I, I, that's my only form of, uh, of social media. But you make me laugh probably the most out of anybody that I follow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been self-conscious of that, thinking like, God, am I obnoxious right now? Because no I'm sure. way. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> no, because and I know like it's it's a hard. I'm not very good at it. I'm just not naturally good at it. Um, so for me, it requires some effort. But uh, I find uh, I, I learn a lot from you because it's just easy and it's yourself and it's funny and it's kind of uh, random, but in a, in a good way. I don't know. Just uh, just keep it up. Because for for whatever it's worth, it makes me makes me chuckle. Well, I appreciate it. I will for better or worse. I'm yeah, for on. better or for worse. Well, listen, I'm not going to take any more of your time, but thank you so much for doing this, and it's so lovely to see your face. And hopefully, maybe we can do some of those rock shows together again in the future. Oh, yeah, right. That would be incredible. Like, yeah. I, I, like why not? Yes. <laughs> why not? Why not? Yes. Um, anyway, thank you so much, and nice to see you. And let's stay in touch, okay? Right on, Ben. Take care. Okay, take care. Enjoy the sunshine, even though it's freezing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. And that's a wrap. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your life to listen to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to say thank you to the guys in Billy Talent for being my guest and for Laura Jane Grace for stopping by. And, you know, I know things are tough right now, but I just need you to know that we will get through this. So take care of yourselves. Take care of your family. Take care of the ones you love. And we'll see you soon. Okay? Until next time. Take care out there. Technical production by Kenny Luong. Louder Than the DJ with Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Tune in every fourth Friday of the month. On air, online, on fire. Only on Rock Antenna.